Hello friends and folks, and welcome back to another Scanline Talks. We're here for Volume 3 of Gundam Code Fairy. I'm Six Detmar, uh, obviously of Scanline Media. I'm Jennifer Uncle, also of Scanline Media. Uh, so we've done two of these before, and now it's time to bring it all home, talk about the third volume of Code Fairy, and just kind of the whole thing as a whole, and and, and then what we thought. Uh... You kind of had to crunch for this one, huh? Uh, well, I guess you could say that, yeah. When I, I initially, when I initially proposed uh, covering this over the weekend, I wasn't entirely expecting, oh, we're going to do it on Friday. But uh, it was fairly easy. Like, these missions go by rather quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty quick, though. Um, I mean, I think the EX mission is pretty tough, but... Uh, I don't know, did you have any trouble with that one, by the way? I played it on easy, and it definitely had oh, some okay. difficult moments, but uh, overall, I finished it in one go, so it was good. Oh, that'll be interesting. Okay, well, that'll have to be a thing I, I ask about, because uh, I haven't played any of the easy mode. Um, I'm still, in fact, the only thing I haven't beaten on hard mode of the whole thing so far is the second part of EX, which is just brutal on hard. Um, but... Uh, so, this is um, as this is part three, picking up from where our, our story left off. Um, the the noisy fairy um, as as sort of the secret um, spec ops unit of the North American um, Zeon army uh, becomes in an increasingly uh, tenuous position as control of uh, the Earth deteriorates. And they begin to lose more and more ground to the Federation. Uh, eventually, like, pretty quickly, they are forced to evacuate their base and head to California base proper. And then evacuate that. Um, and they spend the rest of the volume pretty much on the run. Um, they finally arrive in, uh, in Florida at the Cape Canaveral base after some, some harrowing trials. Um, and finally, they have to hold out for the end of the war. Um, and they manage to do so, and everybody goes home. Except for Killy, who does not go home, but seems to be not dead. Yep. <laughs> There's a little post credits thing where she's just sitting at a cafe, sipping coffee. Mm-hmm. So, I found the story for this one to be weird. Yeah, it, this one kind of gives its overall thesis on what it's trying to say, and... It doesn't quite match up with the rest of the stuff that's been going on, but uh, it's basically... I feel like this arc is more or less focused on Lilith, even though she isn't... She isn't appearing in every mission. It's more or less uh, Lilith seeing what being way into aggression and war can do to someone, and she decides that the best way forward is to, like, fight honorably. Like... Barry gives her a whole speech that's like, you don't want to be like these other Black Wolf folks who are basically killing and getting off on killing and stuff like that. Like, we're in war. It's it's understandable that you're going to kill some people, but if you do it honorably, then you're saving your soul and you're also just doing the right thing. Yeah, and, and to contrast her, just out of nowhere is introduced the real antagonist of Code Fairy, I guess, 
which is uh, Renato Germi and his uh, black dog team. Um, it feels really abrupt. Like, you would have thought they would have at least hinted at the... Like, a lot of Volume 3, to me, feels like they thought they had more time left than they did, you know? So, two of the members of this Black Dog Force actually did appear earlier in the volumes. Like, uh... Did they, or did their mecha? The answer is their mecha did. They were not in them. Isn't there dialogue that implies that they were the ones piling the mecha earlier? I don't think so, and the lore doesn't back that up, because the lore is, um, I mean, guess I guess it's possible that they got turned over along with the Mega. So, um, in Volume 1? No, no, it's, yeah, it is Volume 1. Um, you fight um, the Black Rider and the White Rider, um, and the lore is that was a last test for them. They're part of a larger um, thing in Gundam, the Pale Rider Project, because a whole thing to talk about. Um but basically they were test units for that project and then once they were done with them they passed them over to the the black dog because they're done with their testing oh okay so maybe those guys were in them then i kind of doubt it um but yeah no that it really is just like they hinted at about a bigger deal for these things and they were like shit we're at the end of the game uh give them to two randos from the villain squad yeah and renato himself is such a one note gets off on killing character like there towards the end one of the things that he does is that uh he ends up uh shooting his own squad mate after the squad mates pinning down um i i think they're, they're pinning down alma and uh mm-hmm. he's like all right now you're gonna activate your self-destruct and i'm gonna shoot you to make sure you do it because that's just how we roll baby <laughs> And of course, the guy who, the guy being put in this mission is like, "Hey, fuck you," <laughs> and uh, decides to take down um, Renato with him, or so he thinks anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the fact that this is not introduced before, and then these guys are just so one note, and they're just all over this because, I mean, you kind of knew from the start that they were gonna do like. I, I didn't know if they were necessarily going to, like, quote-unquote, save Lilith, but you knew they were going to develop her more than just being the angry lady all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they do it, it's just like, oh, shit, we're out of time. Uh, introduce the worst people in the world and have her go, yikes, I guess I don't want to be that. Um, well, Barry's like, really? Because you seem pretty close to getting to that from my, where I'm standing. <laughs> and he basically just scolds her into being better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she changes her hairstyle so you know she's good now. <laughs> Listen, I get it, anime. I get it. It's okay. Um, I do... I, okay, I do have to give Ronaldo one thing. I think his custom uh, Jim Spartan... Uh, the Jim Spartan's uh, a design that has, has existed, uh, you know, in, in sort of uh, mobile suit variations and design stuff before. But his, where he has, like, strategic little, like extra armor layered onto his mask to make it look like a Gundam face, but not quite, I think is really dope. Oh, that's what was going on. I thought it was just like, what if we took the classic uh, mobile suit Gundam and painted it black? No. um, So I'll send you a picture right here. I'll put it in a voice chat. But if you look at this, this is a regular Jim Spartan. And you see, you know, how all the gyms have that visor, that big visor. 
and he's just put more extra armor above it to sort of shape it. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, it's kind of it's cool looking, but also kind of pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Very much trying to rep hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know his his squad gets two Gundams and they don't even go to him, which I guess okay. Um, well, I guess. Yeah, one of the pair riders or Gundams. Anyway, um, so the other thing that feels really rushed to me about this is, I mean, like, we don't, first of all, we don't get any new variants of their suits, which I understand. I mean, I guess you get you get the um, the beam rifle in the last mission for the Titania, but, like, and I wasn't expecting full-on new suits, but I was kind of expecting something like, okay, we're gonna, um, I mean... Here's the best example. By the end of this, the Freet Jaeger feels positively pedestrian. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and they just they're just putting it on top of buildings and stuff like I don't understand what they were what their plans were for that uh mobile suit near the end and it seems like they didn't either. No. No. Um you and you mostly just spend this one playing as as um, Alma, which you know I don't dislike. I mean, I the the Titania is a really cool mobile suit and really fun to pilot. But after two, which gave us so many different like you know different missions with different styles and and you know got to play as a bunch of different mobile suits, I'm a little disappointed. That and there's things about the presentation too. Like there's still plenty of. Uh like, drawn-out anime cutscenes like the other two volumes had, but there's moments where they don't even bother playing the intro, they just cut straight into it, or something that might normally be done through a cutscene, because they even have the cutscene-specific font going on, are just done in-engine. Mm. Yeah. I don't. I don't know why. I mean, yeah. I, as I as I guess, it just feels like this third volume was was more rushed for whatever reason, with budget or time or just like. I wonder if when this project was was envisioned, it was going to be four or something, and then while working on it, they learned it was not. Uh, because I, you know, one and two together, honestly, feel pretty darn well paced, and this change just feels so abrupt. I wonder if the fact that it ends with Christmas and New Year's put a time crunch on them, like, oh, we gotta release this before Christmas and New Year's. Hmm. Maybe that, too. I don't know. That's uh, I hadn't thought about that. I guess I assumed when they announced Code Fairy that it was already done. Um, but, because you can't, you know, you can't build these individual parts in two weeks, out, of course. But oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any great insight into development, so I suppose I should stop theorizing. Um, story-wise, what did you make of, like, where it settled on, I mean, first of all, on, uh, Barbara? Barbara was an interesting case, because, like, we ended the last episode being like, oh yeah, she's definitely betraying the team, but we weren't expecting that to resolve, I was at least I wasn't expecting that to resolve in the very next episode. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I kept giving information over to other members of the zombies because the zombies are motherfuckers and they were holding my family hostage. And throughout that episode, Barbara's basically just fighting internally, like, 
you have no real reason to keep me around. I betrayed everyone. I'll transfer out or go somewhere else. I'm sorry. But her actions by coming forward and also coming up with the plan means that everyone got out safe and sound. So Mm -hmm. Killy being just a very understanding commander is eager to keep her around after all this. I guess it's kind of disappointing to me that if you have this moment of like, okay, here's why Barbara's been the way she is, you know, her family's held hostage, all this stuff, and it's just like, okay, great, now we don't have to talk about Barbara ever again. I mean, you know, she exists in scenes, but it's just her being like, I don't know if the girl should trust me, and Killy's like, the girl should trust you. It's like, that's not character development, you know? The most we get is them talking about their previous time at Tirnanog. Basically, there's a bit where almost like, hey... <laughs> we're no camping itself means like we no longer have a mansion to run laps around <laughs> and it's kind of the whole cast recognizing oh yeah we've grown a lot and barbara's like hey if you don't shape up i'm gonna make you run laps around cape canaveral and uh there's a bit of there is a little bit of a sense that uh barbara has grown as a leader and is a capable replacement for killy when she needs to be but uh yeah, it's it, it's one of those senses. It's one of those things where both Barbara and Ermella kind of got pushed all the way to the back, even further than they were before in this volume. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, Killy too, really. I mean, Killy gets like pseudo fridged. She turns out turns out she's just put on a bus, right? She's okay, but like pretty quickly, there Killy's like, well, I guess I have to do a heroic sacrifice. Bye, everybody. And then she's gone. (laughs) Whereas we used to get, you know, like the politics from her perspective, which was always interesting, sometimes insightful, the the way only someone writing about an anime that's already concluded can be. And sometimes like interestingly, like not naive, but like, you know, bought in. Right. Like we've we've cited a couple of times the example of like she really thought Garma could do it. And it's like, no, girl. <laughs> Garma couldn't tie his shoes. <laughs> uh, indeed. I thought one of the more interesting elements of the story, though, is there's a bit where, like, even in this bleak scenario, they find a, they find more excuses to throw in some heartwarming scenes here and there. And one of them happens to be... The girls camping outside and uh, basically just talking about uh, Alma's past. Alma mentions that uh, she used to be part of this um, new type academy. And the way that she described her, like, her the events of her life leading up to her being in this academy were really interesting to me. Like, she talks about how she just seemed to understand things differently than other people. And when she would talk or respond to someone, her responses usually made them very angry. She also talks about how that place and most of the other places she's been never really felt like home because of her sticking out like that. And at some point I was like, wait, is this, are they using new types as like a metaphor for autism here? Maybe that's just from the perspective of me being an autistic woman and uh, just seeing things like thinking differently or speaking differently in that context. But well, and in the, in the Gundam like terminology, she never really goes full new type in this. So I think, um, I mean, 
if you think about what new types are supposed to be in Gundam, um, they're supposed to, and you know, how how much, like, whatever, just the new type theory is people that can, like, sort of through psychicness, like, understand other people sort of innately and sort of just, just figure things out faster, right? Um, and if you were someone who got part but not all of that, can you imagine how fucking awkward that would be? Like, if you got partial insights into people but didn't know they were partial, you know? Like, I think part of it that they're that they're hinting at is, like, she doesn't seem to go full new type in this, and so she's getting these, like, psychic snapshots and and they can you know that sort of thing i can imagine making you very blunt right in a way where you're like oh i know how this person is feeling right now but like you don't really have the full picture and you act on that information and make things worse you know mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of like saying a thing that's true but it's the wrong thing to say that probably happened yeah I, and i wish some of that had come forward a little bit more in the previous chapters just because a lot of Alma's character has been done like naive anime girl who does goofy things and is constantly hungry, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, the something about the way that she was describing her new type abilities and that just felt very hit very close to home for me. Definitely. I, I, I had I got that vibe too in a way that I haven't gotten from other other depictions of being a new type in, in Gundam. Um it was interesting. Um and it was also just really cute having them like in sleeping bags and, and blankets like elbowing each other and <laughs> giggling. It was fun. This whole series has been an interesting situation of okay, what if we could get all these we we have a limited number of episodes, so what if we hit all these various uh cute seasonal moments one after the other Mm -hmm. the only one that really stuck out like a sore thumb in terms of oh this is a little bit awkward was the bit where they had the fun in the sauna and then leaped into the lake and all their towels fall off and all that yeah well you know listen at, at least we didn't get you know it was suggestive but at least they didn't go too far with it i i'm glad about that I don't know. It's it's given that they did a game centered entirely around a squad of of anime girls. This could have gotten much worse. <laughs> That's very true, yeah. <laughs> that speaking of that, I feel like that's another reason why the black dogs were put in there because oh, it's finally the characters who are just constantly yelling sexist shit as they're fighting you. <laughs> it's the evil boys. They're here. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's even one that who's like, woo, I'll be dreaming of you as he's fucking dying and blowing up. <laughs> it is so much. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's like if they had been seated, I could have gotten something out of it because I do think like there's the mission where they are like leading on a Zeon commander to like ambush other Zeon squads with the promise that he'll get out of the war. He, him and his men will get out of the war okay. And it's like that's an interesting like little mini arc. Um but the problem is there's nothing more to these guys than like what if you what if you like handpicked the biggest assholes from your local frat and then gave them good, like mobile suits. Yep. 
Uh, which, you know, that's the Earth Federation in a nutshell. I get it. But, geez. <laughs> it's wild how Renato surviving that explosion was more or less the thing that saved Alma in the end as well. Because <laughs> the way that situation plays out is after you're fighting a bunch of uh, Federation forces off, when the ceasefire has been announced, like, every one of them is still... Everyone still wants to blow one of these fairies up just because it's like, well, I can't accept that this is just over. I need to get something done. And when Alma is like, okay, if they just blow me up, everything else, everything will be fine. Everything will be okay. And she walks out into the center. Like, it seems like she's about to die right up until Renato appears. And he's like, yeah, what are you waiting for? Let's just blast this girl. <laughs> and I feel like even if Lilith wasn't there to stop Renato, I feel like that just took the wind out of everyone else's <laughs> sails he was about to kill <laughs> Alma. <laughs> it's, you know, it's from a very different angle, but it's extremely the energy of, like... Like, when you're a teenager and you have this idea, and then an adult says it's cool, and you're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, Renato thinks this is cool? Fuck this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that if, if you know, obviously the way this is this shit's written, if Renato hadn't been there, then, you know, Lil would have just stepped on someone else, but... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he definitely he definitely thinks he's hyping the situation up when he's actually talking everyone out of it, uh, <laughs> which is funny. Yep, and because uh, Alma earlier um, gave Lilith an honorable fight without killing her by basically just cutting off both of her mobile suits of arms, Lilith is willing to more or less take charge and uh, be in charge of the noisy fairies as surrender. So that they all live. I mean, and also because, you know, <laughs> as, as like, as Barry Abbott puts it, like, you fucking morons do want to spend the rest of your life in jail for war crimes. The war is over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I did, I think the final confrontation between Lilith and Alma, I mean... We'll we'll have to get into this in a minute here, but the fact is, this tonally, the way this wrapped up, the way every thread wraps up in this, is not very Gundam. <laughs> yeah, it has a lot more. This this game has a lot more respect for the military and like war than pretty much any other Gundam thing I've seen. Yeah, it's like I mean. The ceasefire is honored, and there's this, like, honor honor among soldiers shit, and, like, yeah, Alma and Lilith's duel, Alma's like, oh, shit, like, you know, Lilith by, Lilith by this point has sort of reformed, and Alma's there doing the psychic thing, being like, wow, okay, actually, you really seem to be, like, <laughs> like, you seem to have your shit together now, I can psychically tell, and, like, the fight starts with them both being like, hey, you should surrender. Because like, almost like, hey, well, actually, it starts with Lilith. Well, it's like, hey, you can surrender. You should surrender. We both know Zeon's going to lose this war. And almost like, yeah, but if I surrender, people who are counting on me are going to die. Here's the thing. You should surrender because I'm a better fucking pilot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that 
I think that uh, fight against Lilith was actually the toughest fight for me in the game. Like, uh, Really? Huh. Yeah. It, it was, like, down to the wire. Like, I had, like, a hundred points of health left or something. It is really hard. Like, it's interesting because she doesn't have a lot of, like, guaranteed hits, right? She mostly relies on melee and rocket launcher, which you can, like, unlike a lot of weapons in the game, you can dodge. But at that range, dodging the, ro dodging the rocket launcher is pretty tough. Um, that and her AI got better at, like, uh, staggering you and then hitting you. Oh, for me, she got really bad. Like, she would stagger and rush in, and I would recover just in time and get the counter almost every time. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. It was great. <laughs> I, I kind of worked her over. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think the way that fight wrapped up, I, I really enjoyed the sort of like, you know, Alma wins, but decides to spare her and, but also like, can't really relish the victory has to like, you know, take the win and then run, um, I think is good. But the way this whole thing wrapped up is a lot to swallow for me. Totally. Like, uh, it's just one of those situations where, like, Gilly gets into this too throughout the chapter. Like, once she's, once she is more comfortable with the idea that this is, this war is going to be effectively lost, she's like, okay, we're going to lose this war, but how we lose it and how honorably we lose it is up to you girls. <laughs> Which is, like, sounds like a setup for, like, I'm gonna, you know, like, the the, sh the game is going to end with them, like, having heroic deaths, right? That's how that sounds. Um, if, if you haven't played the game, if you're just listening to this, everyone's fine. Nobody dies. I mean, you know, obviously, <laughs> some Federation grunts got killed along the way. Um, mm -hmm. But, like... You know, we get, like, an epilogue with, like, Alma coming home in a sweater to get a postcard from Killy. Like, it's weird in two ways, I think. One, it's weird given the tone they set, the setup, the message of, like, well, listen, we can choose how we lose, right? Which feels like you're, like, let's die in a way that we're proud of. Um, two, it's not... Gundam because because it's not got like the the one year war ended Zeon was not treated well by the Earth Federation and in fact because of that they turn around and start another rebellion a little bit later right like they keep doing this they keep starting these conflicts because the Earth Federation just keeps treating them shitty and so this, like, oh, wait, no, we, like, we lost the war, and then we were treated really well, and uh, nobody was hurt, and we were all sent home, and now I'm happily living my, like, college dreams just feels delusional. <laughs> it also goes against the impression we got when we were, like, looking at the description for each one of the chapters. <laughs> they seemed to be hinting at something darker happening and uh i was certain going into that last mission the way it was gonna go is that we just had to fight and then eventually my health would reach zero and the thing was just like okay 
my character's gonna hold out long enough until she dies, and then right when they're overwhelming the rest of the fairies, the announcement, the, ce- the ceasefire is gonna happen. But, totally. Uh, you expect it to be, a, like, a, the end of Halo Reach, right? Yeah, totally. Um, no, you you win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's It gets uncomfortably close to... Like, this is just an American perspective from someone who went to both middle school and high school in various parts of the South, but it gets into, like, some uncomfortable lost cause territory sometimes with this game. And, I uh, mean, I, I, I think it's fair that it invokes that in you. I don't think it's necessarily fair to put that on them. I don't, th- like, there's nothing about fighting for a lost cause that's inherently racist, and also there's no reason that developers in Japan should be keeping that in mind, you know? Totally, yeah. It's just, it's it's difficult to disassociate like 0079's Eon with uh, the zombies and their Sigjion stuff and all that like uh, mm-hmm. of course I feel like anyone who has watched Gundam past that knows that uh, like when the zombies are out of the picture Zeon can be somewhat more sympathetic sometimes than the Federation but uh, yeah it's one of those situations where just based on the specific time frame they chose to depict a Xeon force and all that. It, uh, like, I know it's not their intent or anything like that. It's just me bringing my specific American perspective into it. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a very weird perspective of, of Xeon and like, it's also weird because I feel like they are almost certainly going to do more of these. Not like Code Fairy, but more like, hey, let's tell another Gundam like mini story, right? Yeah, it's an interesting thing where it might be because they're basically advertising a... Well, this game is more or less to get people into Battle Operations 2 in a way. So I feel like the goals of a story like that can't go too hard into wow being in a mobile suit fucking sucks (laughs) so i feel like that angle kind of limits the stories they can tell but uh Mm. well they might be able to take a different angle though i mean like i um this one is definitely that right this one i think i think that's a good point that i hadn't considered that it kind of had to have a happy ending because it's meant to be like, yo, isn't this great? Don't you want to, you know, join the dream, you know, gun like, and all that shit. Um, but part of the reason it's like that is because they were taking a chance, right? It's like, hey, GBO2 team, you have a good thing going. Your game is doing great. You want to make a single player thing? And the executives are like, I mean, sure, I don't know if it'll work, but if you want to do it to promote your your real game, that's fine. But like just as a as a measure, I mean, like we're not going to get sales data. That's not how this works anymore, right? But like playing Gundam Battle Operation 2, a lot of people have the exclusive suits and they have in Japan they haven't put out the US version yet, but in Japan they put up pre-orders on on Premium Bandai, the Bandai Direct Gunpla store for 
uh, some of the machines from this game. And I can only think of one other example in in the in my time checking out P Bandai where they've had to issue a third reprint because they just keep instantly selling out of all of them. Jeez, I had no idea this was so popular. Well, I mean, what constitutes popularity for P Bandai, which is limited runs, is not the same as, you know, a proper, you know, Gunpla run. But yeah, it seems to be doing quite well, at least in Japan um, and decently here in America. Um, And I think that being the case, it opens the door to like, hey, maybe these, you know, we'll still tie these into GBO2, but maybe we don't have to think of these as expensive GBO2 ads. We can think of them as just games we're making (laughs) that people can play, you know? That'd be cool, yeah. Because like I mentioned in the last episode, the way that they are referencing characters that were also like original characters or various other Gundam video games is like, hey, if they are able to do a big Gundam single-player push because of all this, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was really funny. They have the part um, in the like the battle for like for to, to evacuate the California base where they're like, and so-and-so was here, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. And I was like, oh, are they seeding characters for their next game? And I talked to uh, Dylan, uh, co-host of Mechanist Engine and friend of mine, um, and they were like, no, those are all people from other Gundam games. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that makes oh, sense. <laughs> their commitment to the Gundam game, like, cast is interesting. And I mean, it makes sense in a way because, like, you also can sense their insecurity. This is an insecurity that happens very often, right? Where you are making a story and you're inserting it into a story that already exists, right? You're inserting this into Gundam. And so you're like, well, there's been a lot of writing and a lot of stories told about this space. If they don't bump into people from it, it starts to feel artificial. We already have this group of elite characters who at the end of this all survive, but then no record of them exists and no one will ever mention their names or their machines or their feats ever again. We have to, you know, we have to do something to ground this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. We're never going to get a Titania 2, even though we should. Cool machine. Hey. <laughs> There's nothing stopping someone from looking at the plot for this thing and being like, hey, what if we found a way to get this specific uh, mobile suit into the next show or whatever? That's true. Or like, you know, have, I mean, you could... There's, there's, there's stuff. I, I don't want to get too in the weeds. I run a mecha design podcast. There are ways that they find to bring back cool designs without affecting anything. Um, you have like series of, of art books where they're like, well, someone drew a sketch for this, but they decided it was too expensive to make. So here it is. Doesn't it look sick? <laughs> uh <laughs> Stuff like that. That's very funny. Also, like, I think my favorite ones are, um, to do it real quick, is them being like, uh, so we drew, they drew the design for this, and it's the sickest machine you've ever seen, and it's so incredible, and, like, it outpaces things that are invented 20 years later, but unfortunately, it was so expensive that you'll never see it or any hint of it ever. (laughs) It's like, that's not, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know what they should really do? They should uh, make a game based off the Canadian film. They did. They did? Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Interesting. You die really fast in that game. Oof. I know I had a I I'm I'm a little disappointed in volume three, but um you know, it was it was really good overall. The whole th- the whole thing, I'm I'm I had a really good time. I wanna see more of this sort of thing. Not just like Gundam single player games, though god we could use more of those. But also like Gundam games that are focused on not being Amuro Ray, right? Like, even even Alma at her best is just a very good pilot. She's not, you know, the savior of the war. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that scale much, much more. And it was cool to play a Gundam game that did what it could to make it feel like a like limited series TV show. Mm-hmm. Like a in general, I would be way into more anime games if they tried something like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, but I guess that's it for uh, for us here. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, Jen, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at GBU3. Um, most of my stuff is on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. But you can also find my Narrative Gaming Book Club podcast, uh, Novel Not New, a true end podcast, at readinggames.online. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at sixdetmar, S-A-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. You can find my work at scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia, just like Jen. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't. If you enjoyed this, you should probably listen to Mechanista NG, which is the... Uh, mostly Gundam, but overall mecha design podcast that I run um, that is meaty, let's say. We put out a four-hour episode last week. We do it. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, to steal to steal term from a friend, you put out some five-star runtime podcasts <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, we, we really do. Um, and uh, folks, until next time, Thank you for joining us, and peace out. See ya!